if we're ever going to get to the car of the future, whatever that might entail, it's likely going to come out of the research and development labs at one of the major automakers. It's simply a matter of scale. The big car companies spend more money on automotive research than all the universities and national laboratories put together. So where are the largest automakers placing their bets these days? Is it with hybrids or electrics or fuel cells? Or could it be with something else altogether? Well, we're going to get a clearer idea by the end of today's show. That's because my guest is Paul Mascarenas, the chief technology officer for the Ford Motor Company. Paul oversees a large contingent of engineers and scientists who are working on ways to come up with better cars. We'll soon learn where he's got them focused, so don't go away. We will be back in just a moment. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Thanks for joining us here in the studio with my guest today, Paul Mascarenas, the Chief Technology Officer from the Ford Motor Company. Great having you here on AutoLine. Good to be with you, sir. And also joining us today are Mark Phelan from the Detroit Free Press and Lindsey Brook from Automotive Engineering International Magazine. Great having the both of you here, too. Thank you, John. Thanks, John. Paul, I don't know how you run R&D operations at any major automaker these days. There's so many things that you have to go over uh, or go after, whether it's uh, better fuel efficiency or better safety, in-car entertainment, or the like. How do you determine where you should really put your budget? Because you can't spend everything. There's a lot to do. <laughs> There's a lot to do. But what we do, John, we really, we're guided by our brand. So we stand for four things, quality, safe, green, and smart. And what that really means in setting up our technology strategy, a lot of focus on safety, uh, both active and safety, uh, active safety technologies, uh, fuel economy, emissions, and then really smart, innovative features and technologies that add value for our customers, help us define the brand, and most importantly, help us differentiate our products from the competition. If somebody comes to you on your staff and says, hey, boss, I got this great technology to work in, you got, you got to tell them, just get in line, right? I mean, there must be so many different things that you're looking at. No, we, cover, we really cover the waterfront. So any, any proposal, any new innovation, we look at it. We look at it for its... Um, relevance to the to the customer we look at the value that we can provide we look at it from being kind of new and cool and uh, if it fits the strategy we'll build it into the plan paul uh two of ford's popular features these days are sync which you've worked with in collaboration with microsoft telematics uh, technology and ecoboost which is turbocharged direct injected gasoline engines the latter, uh, EcoBoost, seems like it was developed uh, as an in-house uh, strategy program, Ford Powertrain taking the lead on that, whereas Sync, obviously a collaboration. How do you, per what John was just saying, divide you know, what we're going to do in-house and make that investment and take those risks versus uh, hooking up with someone who might be you know, a third-party, particularly electronics uh, technology provider? That's oh, a really great question, and it ties back directly to what John had just asked. So really, when you look at the work that we do, the engineering work that we do, there are some things that we do really well as a, as a manufacturer. Um, our core competencies will be around developing the platform, the chassis, the powertrains, the engine and transmission, and probably most importantly, the, the design and then the overall vehicle integration. So that's what we consider to be our core competencies. That tends to be the type of work that we do um, inside of Ford. When we then look at the partners, and we have several partners, Microsoft would be one developing sync, there are some things that our partner companies do really well. Software development obviously is a core strength of Microsoft, so developing the operating platform, 
for sync and helping us integrate that into a vehicle environment is something that absolutely we needed to partner on. Likewise, people like Nuance, who do the voice recognition software for us, mm. Telenav, who do some of the navigation system, MapQuest for their mapping. So working with these third parties in the areas where they can bring their experience from the consumer world, combine it with our experience in the automotive space, particularly this element of vehicle integration, and really then develop a superior experience, ownership experience for our customers. Sync was a game changer for Ford, really. It brought voice control of a lot of systems to vehicles that were affordable for everybody, the Focus, you know, the whole Ford line. And it seems to have been responsible for a big piece of the improvement in sales and in perception of the Ford brand recently. The newest version of execution of that idea, My Ford Touch, you've been getting some pushback. Uh, from a, a lot of critics from con consumer reports saying essentially that you went too far you you moved you know too much stuff to voice command it's it's too different from you know the the conventional car yeah, how is your tech group responding to that well first of all sync is um, you know it's been in the market now for three four years we launched it on focus originally and as you say mark the concept was to launch a, um, a system that really allowed the consumer to bring their phone, their MP3 player, iPhone, iPod into the vehicle, connect seamlessly and then enjoy a very uh, seamless interface through the vehicle, um, HMI, the vehicle controls. Voice recognition was a, a very large part of that. With my Ford Touch, my Lincoln Touch, we've taken that to the next level and that now integrates the center stack uh, with a touch screen, with steering wheel controls in the cluster plus a superior voice recognition um, or a superior voice engine that has over 10,000 uh, flat commands. With the early customers, we have had some feedback in two areas. Uh, the first area has just been around unfamiliarity with the system. There's a lot of functionality uh, between the navigation, the audio, uh, the phone operation, a lot of different devices that can come in. So to address the unfamiliarity with the system, we've launched um, additional dealer training, a point of sale, a website, and a hotline to really make sure that people know how to get the best out of their system. And, and additional also been dealer training really means mm -hmm. that the salesperson will take more time explaining it to the customer when they buy it, is Absolutely, that right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And you know, the initial um, kind of handover training, point of sale training, was really around how to pair the phone how to use the audio, um, not really too much in terms of the, the navigation and some of the other functionality. Now we're just going a little bit deeper, recognizing that people want to know more about the system from the salesperson, not have to read the handbook or experiment themselves. Um, and that seems to be working quite well for us. Uh, there have also been a, a very small number of customers have actually experienced some electronic problems with the system. And for those customers, we've actually got a software update, which is available through the dealership. It's free of charge. And um, customer sat is running very high. We're at 80% plus customer satisfaction. And most importantly, more than 80% of our customers would recommend my full touch to a friend or a family member. So feeling pretty good about things at the moment. Paul, over the last decade and even going back earlier, so much of the auto industry was focused on developing fuel cell cars. Right. I don't see, there's talk of it all, but I don't really see them catching on. Now the, the emphasis is more on electric cars. Right. 
even though hybrids as a percentage of total vehicle sales aren't all that good. Where's Ford placing its bets? Where do you really think alternative powertrains are going to go? Or is it going to be Ford EcoBoost system that really carries the day here for the long term? Great question. And there's no one big bet. There really is. We're covering a range of powertrain technologies, everything from our very fuel-efficient uh, diesel engines that we have in Europe, the common rail, um, turbocharged engines, EcoBoost, um, which is our high-efficiency gas engine with turbocharging direct injection. But also on the electrification, we're covering three key uh, hybrid technologies. Um, in fact, electric technologies. We have the conventional hybrid, the plug-in hybrid, and the full battery electric vehicle. So we're really letting the customer decide. Um, electrification in itself um, is really about infrastructure, uh, need for charging um, at the customer's home, at the office, public charging stations. As we launch the 2012 Focus battery electric vehicle, We've actually partnered up with Best Buy uh, so the customer can get a home installation uh, charger. Uh, you asked about fuel cells. Uh, there is some research work um, that looks at hydrogen-powered internal combustion engines and fuel cells. It's a lot further out and clearly a lot depends on the infrastructure, both in terms of the production of hydrogen and also the distribution. So you're, you're just going to scatter out everything and see what the, uh, the public will buy? Not so much scatter it out. I mean, these are you know, very highly efficient, high-technology powertrains. Um, they've all got a place in the market, and it very much depends on geography. Uh, diesel, for example, is the core powertrain technology in Europe. Um, gasoline and hybrids continue to be the uh, powertrains of choice in, in the U.S., and the battery electric vehicle is really growing. So we launched this year with Focus, and um, we'll, see, we'll see how things develop. Paul, do you think hydrogen is the end game that some automakers have, have painted it uh, over the years? Uh, and is Ford developing its own fuel cell stacks internally, uh, uniquely, or are you partnered with, with a stack technologist company? We have a joint venture for stack development. It's with Daimler and Ballard. Uh, it's called the Advanced um, Fuel Cell Corporation. You've had that for quite a while. And uh, based yeah. out in Vancouver in, China, in uh, Canada. So that's where we're doing our research in fuel stack, and we're doing it collaboratively with partners. Um, until the infrastructure issues are addressed, both the production of clean hydrogen mm -hmm. and the distribution of hydrogen, uh, I absolutely don't see it as being the end game. Um, some of the European countries, for example, Germany, are starting to invest in infrastructure. Um, but it's still very early days. Our partner Mercedes are moving with, uh, or Daimler are moving um, with a very small fleet of uh, fuel cell vehicles. Uh, so it's going to be many, many years. So right now, our focus is still on our electrified powertrains, the conventional hybrids, the plug-in hybrids, and the battery electric focus and Transit Connect, which we've already launched in the marketplace. So when you partner with another arch competitor like Daimler on an over-the-horizon advanced technology, in the end, how do you have Ford vehicles that have all the character of a Ford vehicle, fuel cell vehicles, and that are separate from that competitor's vehicles who, with whom you've been sharing the technology development all these years? Yeah, so the first question is why are we partnering? We obviously partner to share the development costs, the research costs. We also... Sure partner to share the knowledge that we have between us. In terms of actually producing a vehicle, each brand would have its own vehicle, and the character, the personality of the vehicle really comes through the design and the vehicle integration, which we would do ourselves and our partner would do themselves. 
therefore maintaining the brand integrity. Mm. One of the things that you mentioned is, is that among the core you know, um, powertrain technologies, diesel is core in Europe. I get emails every week from people who are saying they'd love to see more diesels here. What would it take for diesel to become a major player in North America? What would it take for, for Ford to say, we, we want to provide diesels? Yeah, and you've, you've seen some of the um, diesel fuel economy numbers coming out of Europe. And um, these are small vehicles. These are vehicles with um, manual transmissions, Imperial versus US gallon. And, um, Which very, means that when we see a mile per gallon from England, it's, using, it's based on a gallon that's 20% bigger than the US gallon. It's about a 20% yeah. multiplier. Yeah. That said, these are great vehicles from a fuel economy perspective. In terms of the difference in after-treatment, there's uh, a lot more focus in Europe on CO2 emissions, in the US on NOx emissions. Um, so really, when we look at the cost of bringing a diesel to Europe and we look at the value and the payback for the customer, by the time that, ve that vehicle has been emissionized uh, with NOx traps, with particulate filters, um, some of the other powertrains that we've been talking about really offer a better value from a customer perspective. Is EcoBoost, uh, the gasoline direct injection and turbocharging, is that an enabler for you to get gasoline engines to virtual parity with uh, what we're seeing out of diesels? Well, in terms of customer payback value, it's, probably, it's a better payback, actually, than a diesel would be at this point in time. Because it's a less expensive yeah. engine, because you don't need all that additional treatment. Exactly. Now, that said, Mark, when we talk about our powertrain strategy, these are all global powertrains. So our small diesels in Europe, our EcoBoost engines are going in our vehicles on a global basis. We have common platforms for the majority of our vehicles now. So if the market did shift and the U.S. started to see an increase um, in diesel engine vehicles, we could very quickly bring one or more of those powertrains from Europe and, and put it into the U.S. market. Oh, you just guaranteed you're going to get a lot of letters from people asking for <laughs> right, that. <laughs> right now, um, you know, the focus continues to be on EcoBoost and on the, uh, the electrified powertrains. What does it say about Ford that you know the automaker has a chief technology officer? You, I mean, that's a position that I don't think has ever existed. Certainly not at Ford. Possibly nowhere in the auto industry. What does it say about technology and about how Ford sees technology? Or, or at least you had that position, but it was never called chief technology right. officer. Why the change? Well, first, first of all, for me personally, I've, I've been with Ford for almost thirty years now. In my career. It's really a great honor to be the chief technical officer of a of a company like Ford. What it really means is, um, or what it really signifies is the, the importance that the senior leadership of the company are attaching to technology, using technology in our vehicles to provide content that offers value for our customers, helps us differentiate our products from the competition, and probably as importantly, really define our company going forward in terms of our corporate reputation as an innovative company, as well as a, a manufacturer of uh, leading automobiles. For me personally, what Chief Technical Officer means is helping develop and guide the technology strategy for the company, ensuring that we've got the depth and the breadth in our technical portfolio to support our key brand pillars of uh, quality, safety, uh, green in terms of fuel economy emissions, sustainability, smart features and technologies, and also in my operating role, which is Vice President of Research and Advanced Engineering, really guiding the early years of those technology developments before we hand off to the 
production program teams for, for implementation. So it's a great job and a great time to be a chief technical. How do you like the way the, the company is using its scientific labs, the Sci labs as they call them, and R&D operations? Your predecessor once complained because the company made a, a, a big public relations effort out of, uh, it was trying to find out why computers were failing in the design studio. Maybe you know the story. And they, they, they couldn't figure it out, so they got people from the Sci labs, the PhDs, and they were able to do all this analysis and found out that the clay that the designers were using had, a, I think it was a high sulfur content, mm -hmm. and that sulfur in the air was leading to corrosion in all their laptops, and all their laptops <laughs> were failing. And I went, wow, that, that's really good investigative work. And he went, I didn't hire PhDs to go find out there's too much sulfur in the clay. And he felt that the company was squandering its resources. So that's why I, I, I predicate that to ask, do you like the way that the company is using the Sci Labs in R&D effort? Absolutely. And uh, actually this month we just announced that the Ford Sci Labs are celebrating their 60th anniversary, uh, established in 1951, so 60 years of innovation. And uh, there's something addictive in the Scilabs as well because we've got many people that work their whole careers there innovating and uh, inventing for us. It really is a great time though for us. But John. do you have to and go to other people a, in the company and say, no, leave your hands off them. I've, I've got these guys a, working on more important stuff. It's a, it's a different time for us with our focus on uh, OneFold, focus on our global product strategy, on our brand pillars, and really now creating not just great products and a strong business, but really making our contribution to a better world in the broadest sense. It really is a great time to be innovating, inventing, and uh, bringing those new technologies into our vehicles. And along those lines then, one of the things we hear about uh, in the auto industry is that there's going to be a shortage of talented technical people. Are you running into that here in the Detroit area? We see billboards, we hear radio ads, of suppliers who are begging technical people to come to them because they got jobs and they can't fill them. Are you running into the same sort of problem? Great time to be an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm open. <laughs> but uh, no, seriously, it's, um, it really is a great time to be an engineer. It's, uh, I think, a pivotal point for our industry. Um, clearly, we've talked earlier in the interviews about uh, some of the areas of technology development, particularly the alternative powertrains, electrification, um, this massive growth in electronics in the vehicle and software engineering. They're the type of engineers that we're looking for. And um, you know, in southeast Michigan here, with uh, you know, a number of the other automotive companies based in the same area, it's, uh, it's tough to get good people. Mm. So. And in all that time that Ford's uh, had the Scilabs, uh, patents continue to be discussed as kind of a benchmark for technical leadership um, in any industry. How significant, Paul, are they today? And we, we've seen a lot as electrification has become kind of a big focus of engineering. Everybody trying to get in patents on electrified transmissions and battery packs and thermal management, that kind of thing. Are patents what they used to be in terms of technical leadership? Right. Yeah, patents are extremely important to us. They're one of our measures of our ability to innovate and develop intellectual property and uh, also commercially a way of protecting uh, the intellectual property that we develop as a company. So patents absolutely are important and we continue to file a very significant number of patent applications every year from the labs. There are other ways that we look at how, how well we're innovating. Uh, technical papers, clearly, uh, presenters at conferences, having the subject matter experts. A number of our engineers have been elected to the National Academy of Engineering, which is a 
clearly a great honour. Mm -hmm. So it's how well are we recognised as a technical company? How well are we in innovating? And what kind of a reputation are we building for us as a company? And, and recently General Motors has partnered with Argonne, I believe, National Labs, mm -hmm. in licensing some jointly developed technologies. Uh, what are you guys doing with National Labs and those sorts of institutions? And are, they, are there similar kind of licensing opportunities that we might be seeing in the coming years? We do have relationships with the National Labs. We have a number of um, collaborative projects with uh, DOE funding and uh, DOD funding that we're working. Um, we would be Department have, of Defense. Yeah, exactly, yeah. 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 We, uh, through the DARPA program. Um, we also have, uh, internally, we have a, a company, uh, Ford Global Technologies Limited, FGTL, mm. uh, who actually manage our IP portfolio for us, our intellectual property portfolio. So we license patents. Uh, we license IP both within the industry and outside of the in industry and uh, use that to, to generate quite significant revenue for the company. Mm. Add uh, a number to that, quite significant. What is it? Quite significant. <laughs> <laughs> I asked Bill Coughlin, yeah. who runs that operation, Bill's, the same Bill's, thing, and yeah, all he yeah. would tell me is that it brings in a lot of money. It brings in a lot of money, yeah. <laughs> Ford, yeah. of course, has got significant R&D operations in Dearborn, Michigan, mm -hmm. and in Aachen, Germany. Everybody these days seems to be running to China. Is Ford opening any R&D or doing research there as well? Uh, we already have a research and engineering center in China. It's in Nanjing. It's very close to our production facilities there. And uh, it's a growing operation for us. Uh, we're not doing any significant research work in China right now. Um, our two main centers are Dearborn in the U.S. and Aachen in Germany. Uh, what we're additionally doing, though, John, is partnering with a number of technical universities around the world. We have alliances with the University of Michigan here, with MIT, with uh, Aachen University in Germany, and also establishing a presence with the best technical universities in every country where we have a PD center. So that means China is included, Shanghai. And, and, and does this get around the, the problem of struggling to get the right kind of technical people that you need these yeah, days? Yeah, uh, the universities really um, offer us three or four opportunities. One, one is hiring and uh, access to talent, access to knowledge, and um, also building a bridge with the local community as well. It's a great relation for us. And, and a lot of times when companies talk about collaboration with universities, I think those are the two things that, that you know, those of us in, in the press look at and we say, well, this gives them a pipeline to figure out who are the talented, high potential people. It connects them with the, the you know, community. Do these things actually also produce technical developments that you know, help in some way, or is it more you know, human resources and, and you know, public relations? No, absolutely. We, um, you know, for example, some of the algorithms that we have in our role stability control uh, were developed at U of M. Okay. Um, so there's a great example of real-world application of um, the project work that we're doing there right into our vehicles. So you know, there's a number of examples that I could use. So it you know, not only gives us access to, to the people and the knowledge, but in terms of applying that to our vehicles, and then those people that ultimately we hire have also already had experience working on automotive projects. So it's kind of a win-win-win for, for all involved. Hmm. Paul, there's some interesting engine developments out there right now. Scuderi engine has been around for a number of years, or pushing this new type of engine. OPOC yep. uh, engine, which comes from Eco Motors. Are, are you looking at anything like that? Do you see any potential for some sort of breakthrough piston engine to come through? Yeah, I'm familiar with both of the concepts that you mentioned and probably a handful of others as well. There's a, there's a lot of new ideas out there. Um, theory and concept is good, but... Uh, 
you know, just like the internal combustion engine that we have today, there's many, many years of development ahead of us on any kind of new concept, not to mention the manufacturing investments that will be required to support that. So we're continuing to focus on the more traditional internal combustion engine paired up with our hybrid powertrains and then focusing our forward model efforts really on electrification um, as opposed to any kind of new internal combustion engine. And, and electrification, the, the publicity that electrification gets is totally out of proportion to the number of vehicles that companies actually sell and, and that they probably will sell for the you know, immediate future at least. What's the breakthrough that's necessary, do you think, for electric vehicles to cross over from the gee whiz to the everyday transportation for, for the average person? Uh, two, two things, Mark. One, one is affordability. Um, an example would be our 2012 battery electric focus vehicle where we've really taken the scale and the economy and the efficiencies that come from a high volume platform and electrified it. So we'll be able to offer that quite affordably um, to our customers. And that's the one that will be on sale around the end of this year? Around the end of this year. Um, the second thing really is the infrastructure and particularly here the charging infrastructure. And again, ensuring that the customer can always access a charge point, whether it's at home, whether it's at their workplace, in the office, or in a public type of environment. Um, we've launched with uh, the new Focus, we'll be launching a home charger um, in conjunction with Best Buy, actually the Geek Squad will come and install it in your house uh, with a 220 volt supply uh, that will allow the customer to charge the vehicle in three to three and a half hours depending on the state of charge. So we think a combination of and, affordability and, and, and charging. That's a charge that your projections say will give, give the person enough energy to go 80 miles or so, is that right? Uh, around 70, 80, 90 miles driving range depending on the usage, but certainly you know, more than enough charge for the majority of customers' everyday usage. And now, with, with that, we're gonna, I'm afraid we're out of time. We're going to have to uh, talk bring this uh, discussion to a close by Paul Mascarenas. Thanks so much for coming in and telling us all about what Ford scientific laboratories and R&D are doing. Mark Phelan from the Free Press, Lindsey Brook from Automotive Engineering International, thank you. And thank all of you for having tuned in. We will be back here again next week.